Are you thinking about adding ancillary services to your practice? It's a move that certainly has potential to be an additional source of revenue, but in order to make that happen, you're going to need to do some due diligence to ensure that it makes sense for your patients and your practice. What do you need to know to make your new toy a moneymaker and not a money taker? You are listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Our guest is Owen Dahl, president of the medical practice management firm Owen Dahl Consulting, based in the Woodlands, Texas. Mr. Dahl, welcome back to the Business of Medicine. Well, it's great to talk to you again, Dr. Kaskill. Thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity. So, Owen, is it a good time? We're in the middle of a terrible recession. Is it a good time to add services? What do you think? That's the $64,000 question, so we're looking at the return on investment in terms of that. Selectively, yes, but if you if you simply say because the guy down the street said, I put this in and, and it's worked for me without doing due diligence, without doing a lot of uh, soul-searching, a lot of look at that return on investment model, I would be a little bit hesitant. So tell me what kind of due diligence I personally should be doing. I'm a physician. I have no idea how to do fancy calculations or work spreadsheets? It's really not that difficult. If, for example, you're looking at putting in a, a $20,000 capital expansion, first of all, you got to be able to find the source of funds and whether or not you can find that from your local bank, whether or not you can bankroll it yourself, whether you use a, a venture capitalist or something like that. So uh, that's that's a choice. Obviously, you can lease. Don't necessarily recommend leasing when we look at it. So, so you got the capital piece. So let's assume that we've got a business line of credit and we can easily access $20,000. Okay. So then what I'm going to look for is what's my volume. And my volume is going to be based upon what my mission or my vision is for my practice. If I'm a, an internal medicine practice and I decide I want to add some urological procedure of some sort that may have an application of one or two patients a month, it's kind of crazy to do that. And so I need, obviously, to find something that's in cardiology or whatever it might be that might help me in terms of meeting my particular patient population. So I've got my capital, I've identified my patient population, and because of that, then I say, okay, this does make sense. Then do I have space in my facility? Do I lose an exam room to add this to this component, or can I use it as a supplement in an exam room so I don't really have any fixed costs that are associated with it? That's not bad. Then I'm going to look at my consumables or my variables, and, and if I buy a piece of equipment, that's one thing, but if it costs me $100 each time I do the procedure for variable, that adds a significant cost that I have to be aware of. So, And that doesn't that's not a capital outlay. That's an ongoing cash drain that you're going to have. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the exam room thing because we have a bone density machine that takes up an exam room, and it's not the kind that you can sit on the table and really use that room for anything else. So it really does kind of suck revenue out of that room by when it's not being used. Well, yeah, and what you're talking about, okay, so you've got a 10 by 10 exam room, so you've got 100 square feet. Well, if you're paying 20 bucks a square foot in terms of rent, you've tied up a significant amount, again, of your capital for very little or a potential low rate of return. So I want to look at utilization of my space as well as all of these other components that we talked about. Then, you know, do you have the right staff? Do you need to train the technicians and does the package that you're going to buy give you the opportunity to train your medical assistant to do this or do you have to hire a special person? Can you do this at any time with any patient or can you only do it when a technologist is available who comes in just on Tuesday afternoons? You know, and, and so I'm thinking all of those kinds of things, but that's, those are all cost sites. I've got to also look at what the CPT code reimbursement rate is going to be. The Glengarry Codes. 
right, is Medicare going to pay for it? Is United or Blue Cross or any of my other managed care payers going to pay for it? And I want to find out what their reimbursement rate is. Because then when I calculate this out, I got, okay, I got my capital, I got my variable cost per piece of equipment, I know my allocation for space, and then I know my staffing costs. And so on my $20,000 investment, I'm gonna, it's going to cost me $90 per procedure. If I do this over, say, a 12-month estimated volume and my return on my, uh, you know, from the managed care company is 180, but my return from Medicare is 120. Is that an adequate return in terms of, of me being able to do that? How long will it take me to get my capital investment back? Will that be six months? Will that be 12 months? Will that be 24 months? What's an industry average when you buy a piece of equipment? When should it have paid for itself? Well, I clearly like to look at that in less than a year. But you know, again, that, that depends upon the significance of what that particular piece of equipment does, what your growth rate is, and what you're doing in terms of meeting your patient demand. Our hair removal laser paid for itself in eight years. Was that good? <laughs> that was a terrible one, which we got because the guy down the block got one. That's part of what I, what I was saying is, is that you have to look at your own practice. And just because somebody down the street who you met in the lounge at the hospital or went out to play golf with said that they were doing well with it, that doesn't mean that it's going to translate to something that's going to be a return for you. Yeah, but that brings up just the whole competitive nature of doctors where this doctor's got a nice new car. I want that new car. So it, you may make decisions that aren't really based on doing due diligence. Well, if you, you remember one of the things I did is I wrote this book called Think Business. And my whole point in it is that physicians don't think as businessmen. And so what we're talking about so far is a good return on investment, recognizing those costs, recognizing the revenue. That's a business-type decision. That's a, not an emotional decision based on what somebody else did. So once we, once we get that understanding and we say, okay, I want to look at the facts, I mean, you as a physician, when if you take care of me, you clearly are looking at the facts based on what my blood counts are, what my you know x-rays are showing and all of that stuff. That's all factual. If you've just listened in or just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. My guest today is Owen Dahl, president of the medical practice management firm Owen Dahl Consulting. And we're talking about the process of adding an ancillary service to your practice. All right, so Owen, let's say my due diligence is done. I've decided that I will eke out a small profit. It will not eat away at my staff, and I want to do it. I'm excited. So then what do I do once I get it? How do I, how do I roll it out? How do I tell patients about it? Again, your, your marketing piece is going to be based upon, first of all, your word of mouth and the type of patient that you bring into the practice. So if I'm, if I'm a regular patient of yours and you think that I would be a candidate for that particular procedure and you're not, quote, unquote, abusing it, you're not just saying I'm going to give it to him because he's a patient of mine, uh, there's got to be obviously the medical need, but then I need to be aware of what that is as a patient. Well, how am I going to be aware of it? You can spend a lot of money on advertising. You can print brochures. You can go to local clubs and organizations and do public speaking about that kind of thing. But more likely than not, if you're going to build a model inside your practice, it's going to be based on your patient census. And so you're not going to spend a lot of money in terms of outside marketing. Oh, and you, you brought up the word abuse it. And I think anytime a physician, I'm going to generalize here, anytime a physician buys a new toy, he is going to want to use it more than not use it. And, you know, I think of the cardiologists that have a nuclear 
magnetic machine in their office, and if I send them a patient, everybody gets a stress test, whether they need it or not. And you may, you know, the the cardiologist may be able to come up with a reason for why that patient needed the test. But if he didn't have that machine, that patient would not have gotten that test. So there is some abuse that goes on, and we as human beings can rationalize it away. And I'm not a physician, but statistically, I can support everything you said, that there clearly are abuses, uh, there clearly are duplications. Why we're talking about a standard EMR going across the world and all of those kinds of things is because we have duplications of tests. And so there clearly is abuse. We have to accept that. And that's another reason why I say you've got to look at your patient population. You've got to look at those kinds of things internally and say, you know, this is a good investment. Now, there are other kinds of investments that you can make because, fortunately, with the Internet today, you can find some cardiac monitoring and a lot of other kinds of things where you don't have to put that $20,000 capital investment out there. You can do some other kinds of direct, definite services for patients without in significant out-of-pocket investments. Throw some of those ideas out for everybody to hear. Again, I think anything from hearing screening to eye screening to cardiology screening and so on, where you can you can actually find services which will help you be able to offer those particular kinds of testing, those kinds of support for the patients, maybe with a per-click or a per-use base type of lease or rent as opposed to having to come up with a capital scenario. You offer me as a patient the service without a significant investment. You may make only 20% or 10% on that on that particular procedure, but you're doing it as a service and then you're doing it without the significant financial risk, which as we look at national health insurance, as we look at some of those reimbursable kinds of scenarios that we're talking about, and the whole point you brought up about abuse and Stark and all those kinds of issues, we may want to take a look at some less risky but definitely complementary ancillaries to what we offer our patients now. The toys are exciting. I mean, the machines are pretty cool to have. They may not make as much sense as doing something much more simple, like offering prescriptions for patients. That's what I wanted to ask. Do you have any practices that you're seeing that are adding, giving out, or doling out prescriptions at point of service? Absolutely. How does that work? I mean, it seems like a giant hassle. Well, it's it's not necessarily a hassle because you're writing a prescription now. So from your point of view, what you're doing is writing a prescription and sending it to somebody. Hopefully, you're e-prescribing. If you put a structure in place to e-prescribe to your own pharmacy, what you simply say to the patient is, here's an alternative for you. I can send a prescription to CVS or Walgreens or whatever it happens to you, Walmart. And, or you can, you can get your prescription here, which means you don't have to stop. It's competitive priced. I'm not saying you have to do that, but you can. You then can, as a physician, you could buy that as a service, if you will, from, from another company, or you can choose to, do, to invest in it with a inventory. And then you would inventory only those prescriptions that would be most frequently done by you. Right. But what about the whole copay thing and the insurance verification? Are you just having the patient pay cash and not dealing with their insurance? Both. But what I would basically say is if you're going to do this, you should go at it full force and you should say to the patient, this is what's going to happen and we will be able to bill you and set up a complete separate almost billing structure for that, billing the insurance, getting the copays. One of the risks that you have, you just brought up, okay, I got a $20 copay to see you, and then I got a $5 copay for a drug, and uh, and, I'm moving from one window to the next. It seems, just hearing about it, to be very labor-intensive with the front office staff. It can be, but again, 
if we're serious about looking at, we have to come up with alternative sources of revenue that's legal based upon the state law that I have, then I can do that. But what I also found, and this is back to the return on investment kind of scenario, a couple of years ago, we were talking to a lot of people about the development of and the establishment of a lot of ancillary services. What we're finding out now is that we're saying, okay, did that investment that you made two years ago, in fact, pay for itself? And we're, we have to ask that question, and you have to be prepared then to say, I'm going to make that initial investment, whether it be in a pharmacy or in some kind of a radiographic or a lab procedure or some other supplemental component. Did it make sense for me to do that? You need then to be prepared. Yes, I'm going to make the commitment, but I ought to, I ought to set a point in time down the road, six months or 12 months or 24 months, where I'm going to stop and take a look at that again and say, you know, my estimated return was going to be 30%. I've only made 5%. My benefit of that has been poor. I'm going to close the deal. So what have you seen that is a common service added that, for the most part across the board, usually works? I see a lot of the cardiology configurations that seem to be working pretty well. I have seen pharmacies work pretty well, but those are specialty-oriented more not more so than not. For example, in an oncology practice, we might be talking about oral oral chemotherapy as opposed to not. And they're used to doing pharmacies, so that kind of works. Bone densitometers, that works. Stress tests work. Cardiac monitoring works. Holter monitoring. All of those particular kinds of things work. But again, that depends on your practice. Right. Okay. So and then the follow-up question would obviously be what historically generalized doesn't work that you've seen. I know it's you know individual, but for the most part, you go in and you see this over and over. Oh, yeah, this group's tried this and it failed. I would go back to a bone densitometer as a good example, because more often than not, a good salesman will hit a market and say, this is something you have to do, and here's your return on investment, and we'll be able to move forward on that. All of a sudden, we find out that we only use it on two patients a week. My fear is that we get so aggressive, we look at these toys, and we say 20000 doesn't sound like a lot, or 50000 doesn't sound like a lot, whether it's an ultrasound kind of device or something like that that we would put in there. The answer to that is, again, specifically, does it fit your practice? But because it's a toy, we do it. We don't give these kinds of things that you and I are talking about time to think. We don't think about it enough to be able to be successful. So I guess the conclusion is that adding an ancillary service does not always translate into making money. Absolutely, and especially if you've done it to keep up with the Joneses. Well, Owen Dahl, as always, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Dr. Caskell. My guest was Owen Dahl, president of Owen Dahl Consulting, a medical practice management firm based in the Woodlands, Texas. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell. You've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thanks for listening.